0: Welcome to the childcare business podcast brought to you by ProCare Solutions. This podcast is all about giving childcare, preschool, daycare, after school and other early education professionals a fun and upbeat way to learn about strategies and inspiration you can use to thrive. You'll hear from a variety of childcare thought leaders, including educators, owners and industry experts on ways to innovate to meet the needs of the children you serve. From practical tips for managing operations to uplifting stories of transformation and triumph, this podcast will be chock full of insights you can use to fully realize the potential of your childcare business. Let's jump in.
1: Welcome to the Childcare Business Podcast. Uh, really excited to have you today and excited to uh, spend some time with our guest. Um, really quick, want to introduce everybody to Carla Ward. Uh, Carla is an early childhood educator who founded Early Learning Foundations in 2008. Uh, She's a certified wonder-based educator, and we'll get into what that means, uh, with a background in behavior management, and she believes learning goes beyond the classroom. She also hosts her own podcast. For those of you that want to plug into that, it's called the Everything ECE Podcast, uh, gonna talk with Carla a little bit about her upbringing. She was born in South Africa. She now lives in Ontario, Canada, uh, where it is currently negative twelve degrees. We were just talking before we started recording. Uh, and she has been fascinated by the way people learn for as long as she can remember. Um, so today we're hoping to spend some time discussing with Carla, uh, you know what it means to lead a team in our industry, including how to, you know, dive into effectively leading staff meetings how to support your team, and then also how to invest in professional development. Uh, so, Carla, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're excited to have you too. So I do like reading your bio and just doing a little bit of research before we we jumped into the recording Talk to me about what that actually means to be a wonder-based educator. Is there an actual definition to that or is it a definition that you kind of put on that?
2: No. So I'm actually certified as a wonder-based teacher. It's a program that Sally Hoy of Fairy Dust Teaching uh, started and founded. So went through the training and became a certified wonder-based teacher. And basically, to me, what that means is I'm certified in play. For myself, I'm a Reggio-inspired teacher. I love the Reggio philosophy. But for me, it basically means taking children's interests and building on their curiosity and instilling and promoting that wonder. So basically, I stay out of the way. I let children play. And it also means that I'm feeding my own wonder. So I live by the foundation of what does it mean to wonder? Um, It essentially is building authentic play or it's done through authentic play. And it doesn't matter if you are Reggio inspired with wooden materials or plastic materials, which is why I was so drawn to the philosophy because you didn't feel like you were doing anything wrong because it's about building authentic relationships, which is something I'm a huge promoter of. Um, So yeah, so that's what it means to me to be a wonder based teacher.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that we like we have to like there's an actual training around like allowing young children to play because I mean, at its core, you know, we've had episodes even on our podcast talking about the importance of that, you know, especially in those early years, zero to five, zero to eight, the development of a child's brain is so tied to, like, like you said, wonder, exploration, play, like, what is the like, what is the the opposite of that. So like wonder based education is like, you know, obviously being an expert or at least being an advocate of play. But I guess the opposite of that, if we were to put, you know, the other hat on is it's just more of a a rule based environment for young children. Or how would you describe that?
2: Worksheets. That's how I would describe it. The opposite of wonder based is worksheets. And it's kind of like sometimes I almost sound like a hypocrite because I own a tutoring company. I own a tutoring company that teaches from kindergarten to grade 10, but so much of it is still instilling that sense of wonder because trust me, by the time they get to grade 10, those kids have no interest in learning what you have to teach unless you promote, this is why we're doing it. Well, what do you wonder? What do you think about this? So, so much of that wonder can be instilled without drills, without Worksheets and bringing that play and that hands-on learning can still be done.
1: That's amazing. So, is is another word for wonder? Curiosity? Do those go hand in hand? Like being one hundred percent. Yeah. So, w- when you went through that class, w- anything that stands out? This is me just being curious. That when you look back at the class, in terms of a takeaway, a tangible takeaway of how do you teach with that? methodology, anything come to your mind as as a takeaway?
2: Definitely. It's honoring the child. Okay. It's honoring the child. And I would say the part two to that is honoring yourself as an educator. So it's believing in yourself as a professional. I think ECEs get the short end of the stick. And I mean, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's just how valuable early childhood educators are. And The course that I went through, so it started with the Wonder League, and then you move into the Wonder-based certification program, is how do you honor the child? How do your perspectives, your perceived notions um, affect you as an educator, and how does that present in the classroom? So if you were raised in a very, very strict household, how much of that transfers into your classroom, and are you honoring the children?
1: Got it. I was going to ask you that. In fact, you, that was a perfect dovetail to, I know growing up in South Africa, I wanted to ask about, you know, what that looked like culturally, what your childhood, you know, looked like, you know, personally. And I was curious. Yeah. Like is your interest in, you know, wonder based education, curiosity based education, is that um, because you had the opposite as a child or it's how you experienced your childhood? So maybe that's, that's multiple questions. One talk to me about what it looked like to be a child growing up in South Africa. And then two, how did that tie in for you into kind of your interest in wonder-based education?
2: Yeah. So being a child in South Africa, I guess the best way is more so to do a comparison between how I lived later on when we moved to Canada versus how I lived in South Africa. And I would say like, I grew up in a house with loving family, but I was surrounded by 10 foot walls. Everybody in South Africa is, has walls. It's a safety measure and it's a way to keep you protected inside your home. And I'll never forget when we moved to Canada and we had no walls, our neighbors came right over. This woman called the welcome wagon lady brought us like walked right up to our front door, rang our doorbell. Like it was totally surreal. And then I remember riding my bike around the block and it's the first time in my entire life at the age of 11, I'd been out of my parents' eyesight or an adult's eyesight. And my sister and I went around the block and came back and just the look of like fear and happiness in my parents' faces, like for me, that will always be in my head. Um, But I think in terms of how it relates to wonder, both my parents are just very um, interest based. So if I had an interest in something, so I once told my dad I wanted to be an architect. He had me draw my bedroom to scale. And rearrange my bedroom with all the pieces of paper with a two scale drawing. So, my parents always took our interests and just promoted them. Um, but I think I became a wonder based educator from the other extreme because I actually didn't get it in my school systems. I Got was, it. yeah. So, whether it was South African or Canadian, it was very, very structured. And I mean, I teach high school, I teach all the way to grade 10, and I teach the maths. And it turns out I'm really good at it but I sucked at it when I was actually in school. My grades were brutal in school and it started to getting me wondering why, like, why is it possible that I can actually do the math? What changed? And it was the adults that were in the school system with me. um, And also I didn't get to know them either. We never formed that relationship. And that is always what I bring it back to was what kind of relationship did you have with your teachers um, so, so many factors that contributed to how I got to where I am.
1: Yeah, that's, um, you, you, you weave that story perfectly, the move from South Africa to Canada and being able to kind of experience a, a different dynamic too, like both like, like culturally, but then in the classroom, it sounds like that obviously played a big role in, in kind of, as you progressed your career, did you like going through school, Carla, did you know that you wanted to be an educator, Or did you have a different vision? Like as you were going through high school, I don't know if there was post high school education for you. What did that look like? And then what did, how did your path lead you to ECE? So in
2: the eighth grade, I wanted to be an environmental lawyer or a reflexologist. Okay. Not sure how, yeah, uh, two different extremes. Um, But then in grade nine, I started volunteering at my church and I started teaching Sunday school and I will accredit a lot of my love of early childhood From being given the opportunity at 13 years old to work in my church with these little ones. And I taught Sunday school every Sunday from grade nine to grade twelve. And I knew like within the first year, like this is what I want to do. I wanna make a difference in these children's lives.
1: Amazing. So So for people who are looking for their passion, like, I'm curious when you you hear somebody tell, like, I knew, like, based on my experience, like ninth through 12th grade, like, was that for you, like that very first Sunday school class that you taught? Was it the feeling that you had from being in that environment? Was it the feedback from students? Was it a combination? How would you describe, like, I just knew that this is what I wanted to do?
2: It becomes something in your heart. like, And I always say it's the same with being an entrepreneur. Like, It's something that you feel in your heart, but it's something that carries with you even when you're not in that environment. So sitting in a high school classroom, I'm planning out my Sunday school regimen and thinking about how I'm going to do teaching on Sunday. Or when I was teaching in the classroom, I was thinking about my tutoring sessions and what I was going to be doing there. Um and then when I was in the school system, I was missing childcare. So I w- taught in a high school for a while and I just missed working with the little ones like kindergarten are my people, like they're the funniest kids and children just bring this energy of pure joy. Like there's just, there's something about working with kids who are honest, sometimes brutally honest, yeah. but it is that feeling of being around people who are so sincere, who say what they mean and mean what they say, that just makes you feel whole. So it's just, yeah, I just love working with children. And for me, it's my calling for sure.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great description. I mean, you know, I think I've seen um, even recently great quotes around, you know, what the world needs. I'm going to get this probably wrong, but the the intent is hopefully going to be right, which is, you know, find what you really love and are passionate about and do that because that's essentially what the world needs. You know, I, it's funny, my son's a a sophomore in college right now. And so watching him kind of try to figure out like, you know, what am I going to major in? And what does that look like after I get done with school? And, you know, a lot of times, you know, kids don't grow up thinking like, I want to sit in a cubicle my whole life in front of a computer. And so the whole idea of like, you know, find what that passion is, and turn that into a career, I think there's you know a lot of merit to that. I think it's a lot of what you're saying. Be in wonder, be curious, and follow those things that bring life out of you, because that's going to be probably ultimately what you're the best at too.
2: Oh, without a doubt. Your passion will take you where you need to go. You're going to make some missteps 100%. Like for me, um, allowing other people's fears definitely redirected me along my path sometimes. like I knew that I wanted to work for myself. Um, I wanted to either own a childcare center, or run a tutoring company, or just, I wanted to, when I wanted to, I wanted to be a businesswoman. And what happened was I left teaching at 22 and my mother was so worried about me not making a full-time income. I ended up going back to teaching. And then when I was there, I was like, well, I want to do more. Like I want to teach other people. And I mean, even now with my grade tens that I work with, they're choosing their university courses or their high school courses that'll get them on track and i'm like well, what do you want they're like well i think i'm going go to go get a business degree great why and they can't answer that question and again it's sparking that curiosity why do you want to do this is it because you think it's the right path because that's not passion right and i mean if eces have anything we are definitely passionate about our field
1: yeah that's a great that's a great attribute you're right most ece professionals are definitely passionate. I think that's a great question to always ask why, you know, I, even with my team, like in our environment, working with, you know, potential customers and individuals who own and operate childcare centers, you know, when they're reaching out to us, looking for help, you know, asking that question all the time, like, why, like, what's the pain? What are you trying to solve? Why are you trying to solve it? Because until you know that it's hard to go help somebody it's hard to help them you know identify what they're trying to to go solve so 2008 then walk me through what was going on in your life because that's when you started your company right so yes. uh, early learning foundations the the acronym is elf yep. right um walk me through what was going on in your life how you started it and then maybe what the early days looked like what was what were you providing as a service and then let's kind of we'll kind of take that forward to modern day and what you're doing now
2: Yeah. So once again, it all comes back to relationships. I had been teaching kindergarten for five years at this point in a childcare center. Absolutely loved it. But Ontario, where I live, had introduced a full-day kindergarten. And I was starting to get worried about what my job was going to look like. Because because we were in childcare, we had students going half day with us and then half day to the public school system. So we were worried that our numbers were going to dip. So I had already started Looking for other employment part time if I could. And a parent whose child had already graduated from kindergarten said, Can you help my son with his reading in grade one? And I was like, Sure. So it started with two, and then two became five. And now we have over 60 kids that we see on a regular basis. Um, And I landed up for four years of my life working a 40 hour job at teaching kindergarten and teaching 40 hours tutoring a week. And it's not sustainable. <laughs> it turns out it is really not healthy to work that much.
1: <laughs> yeah. 80 hours a week, the human, the human, uh, I don't know if it's psyche or even just everything physically, emotionally, isn't set up to, um, have double the work like that 80 hours. So did you have to decide then what did it come down to? I gotta, I gotta pick a path and, and be all in.
2: Yes. And what was starting to happen was at some point in those four years, I had left teaching at the one school and then was off for a while doing just tutoring. And it was great. And I loved it. And then a friend called and said, can you come teach my high schoolers about early childhood development? And I went in for a day and it was a high school program that had childcare in it. And turns out the teacher wasn't coming back. So they're like, well, do you want it? So I was like, Sure. So then I landed up there for two years and then I left because I was working again. I was back at my eight hour weeks left and then a supervisor position came in. And as an ECE, you're kind of taught like that's kind of the next path, right? You work in the Mm -hmm. childcare business, you become a supervisor. Um, So how could I turn that down? And so then I did supervisor for 40 hours a week and tutoring 40 hours a week. Um, I see a pattern
1: here. I see a pattern. Yeah.
2: It might be what we call a little bit of a workaholic. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um,
2: And then I landed up working at a private school, um, teaching kindergarten, because, again, like I said, those are my that's my passion. But this school was working with children with brain injuries and it was incredible. And. What was starting to happen though was my tutoring business was growing and my tutoring team was growing and I was getting called in to do professional development for ECEs and then still trying to work. And I'm 110 percenter and something had to give. So I've walked away from the classroom um, over the last four years and I miss it, but I don't miss it at the same time because it's kind of nice to drink my coffee in the morning without rushing out the door for 12 hours. So
1: yeah, there's not the bell ringing that you're, you know, running in, spilling your coffee, trying to make it the first period or whatever that.
2: Exactly. Is. And then not touching it again till it's ice cold.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, so then w- in addition to like the tutoring, because I know you guys do individual tutoring and yep. spend a lot of time with individual students, but as it relates maybe specifically to ECE and our industry. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like you're, you're also focusing on like working with owners and directors around staff development. And and that's kind of, I think what we want to talk a little bit about today. So, so talk to me about that role, like for individual, like childcare owners who are looking to work with you. Can you talk a little bit about the types of services you provide? Do you specialize in certain aspects of professional development? Um, And then let's go from there.
2: Yeah. So um, I run professional development courses. So I'm launching a course in a couple of weeks um, regarding staff meetings. So it's something that people can take online, but then I also go into centers. So it's getting an idea of observing the team and understanding the team dynamics because so much of how a center's enrollment looks often has to do with the team dynamics because when a team works together and you have a lower turnover, which is hard to really talk about it during a pandemic because it's a bit unpredictable right now. But generally when you have a strong team, everything else kind of fits really well because everybody's contributing to the business, right? So it's getting that team feedback and getting team input because your staff are the ones that are in the classroom. And they're the ones communicating with parents. Yes, they're stopping by the, your door and saying hi to you, but really, it needs to be a collaborative effort to move the business further and get more enrollment.
1: So, how do you do that? Like when you talk with owners about, I mean, maybe just looking at like a case study, a hypothetical case study. If an owner, you know, calls you into their center and you know, just says, "Carla, we're just struggling with um, culture, or you know, I've got a lot of turnover." Like, what does that look like from your perspective? How do you analyze it? And then how do you help an owner build that dynamic, that team dynamic? Are there some common practices that apply to everyone or is every situation different?
2: There's a couple of things that I've noticed a pattern of. Ego, communication, and relationships. Hmm. So the ego, this one comes from me working with people who have egos, like from like as a staff. For me, I always want to make sure it's not an us versus them. It's not admin versus staff. You are still a team. So it's making sure that the admin are checking their ego at the door and not commanding things of their staff. Yes, you can't always ask. You can't always say to your staff, can you do this? Because sometimes something needs to be done, but it's also about the approach, which comes down to your communication. And it comes down to your relationship. And that doesn't mean being friends with your staff. I mean, it's great if you're all friendly, but how you communicate with your staff, but also how you respect people's time. Time wasting is a huge one for me and a lot of supervisors. And this was a common mistake when I first started out. A lot of supervisors don't realize how much time they're wasting during their day, during their staff meetings. They're not utilizing everybody's skills and time. So those are kind of the three, I would say, blanket ones. And then everything else comes down to your area. Why did your last staff leave? Because sometimes it has nothing to do with you, the center, or even the person. Like Sometimes there's outstanding reasons why somebody moves. So I would say those three are the blanket ones. And then everything else is individual
1: everything else falls within, within those. So, so if I'm, so if I'm a childcare owner or we have owners and directors that are listening and they would say like ego, like, I don't think I have an ego, Carla. I don't think that's part of it. Is there any like, like is there any really quick self-assessment tips that you can give like our audience? Like, Hey, if you want to do a self-assessment to see if your ego is maybe a factor in some of the things going on in your center, Do this test. Is there anything that comes to mind? Something practical?
2: Yes. Ask your staff for feedback about you as a supervisor and then watch how you respond. And some of it will hurt your feelings. Absolutely. Some of it will be, but your response should be, okay, I hear you. Is that a you problem or is that a me problem? Like, Is that something that you and I need to work through together or is that something that's affecting our team? And that's how you as a supervisor grow, but also how you as a team become much, much stronger.
1: Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, that's a great, probably a great tool tip for anybody in a leadership or coaching or mentoring, you know, role is like being open to feedback and it's not going to feel good, but how you react to that and lean into that to grow from it is probably, um, you know it's a it's a attribute of humility right like to be able to receive that and grow from it and get better and not get defensive and not absolutely. get absolutely yeah, yeah what about what about like so the other two you said communication and relationships like um any practical tips just like within the four walls of a center around effective ways to communicate that you have seen and maybe if anything comes to mind like the opposite of that like hey if you're communicating in this way try to adjust that? Because that doesn't seem to be the most effective way in our industry. Anything come to mind on those areas?
2: Yeah. So for one predictability in a childcare center, everybody has different shifts. So you cannot assume that by telling the 7 a.m. staff that the 9 a.m. staff are going to get the same message because it's busy. Like we are, we are there for the children and messages don't always get relayed by mouth. So it's setting up systems where everybody knows where to go. For information. So for example, if a new child was starting in your preschool room, it doesn't matter if you have a kindergarten, toddler, and infant program, everybody in the center should know that a new family is starting today. One, because it welcomes the family. Everybody knows to look out for them and to greet them. So I always had a communication book in my staff room. Every day it was dated and it would say so-and-so in preschool is out sick today. Um, So-and-so is covering... Uh, Mrs. Ward in preschool one, and um, the Ward family is starting in kindergarten. And that way, everybody in the center knows what's going on in every program because they might have a sibling and a parent just forgot to say that little Johnny's um, brother is also going to be out sick. Everybody should know if a staff is out sick. And the thing is, is that it's busy. Once everybody crosses that threshold, the day has started and it is go, 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 go. But it is respectful to let your staff know when their team member is out sick. And it's respectful to your supply teacher to to be welcomed into your center. They're part of your team for that day. So those communication tips work great in terms of communication for staff meetings. Um, I always used to have a sheet in the staff room where staff could put um, topics that they wanted to discuss this served me for two benefits. One it gave me topics for the staff meeting that I could help support my team with, but it also kept out my interruptions in this in my office because everybody still felt heard from because they know it would be addressed.
1: Love that. Love that. I love love the idea of like including the team in the topics that are going to be, you know, I think it's easy to fall into a cadence of assuming you know, as a leader, what needs to be addressed in a meeting, but actually getting that feedback is is a great idea. What about you? You mentioned the third piece of, um, you, you know, kind of staff and culture and those being relationships. And you said something that was interesting to me that I want you to elaborate on if you can is, you know, it's OK if you're friends with your staff. It's great to be friendly, but there's a difference between friendly and being friends. If you were to say, hey, if you're a childcare owner, if you're a director, the goal of your relationships with your staff should be how would you finish that sentence? It's not, if I heard you right, it's not, you're not there to be friends, but your goal is to be how would you describe that if you're talking to an owner?
2: Your goal would be to have a respectful relationship. Um, I certainly, I was very young when I started as supervisor and some of my staff were older or the same age as me and some of them were younger. So um, I actually just did a podcast episode on this is something that we often, that often happens to ECE is we use gossip as a form of bonding Mm. and it can be very, very dangerous to a center. And that's where people start to fuzz the lines between friendly versus friends. Like, sure. It's one thing to gossip with your friends. I mean, it's not healthy, but we all do it, but doing it in a center with your team and your staff is it's going to ruin your business. So that is a big one for me. Like when we're looking at that, but also, um, keeping your personal life separate from your professional life, because you are a supervisor, you want to be treated professionally. You've worked so hard to get where you are, um, and you want the respect as the professional that you are, so that when a situation comes up, staff know that they can trust you because you've got this.
1: Yeah, great answers. I think you're right. Like anytime there's a gossip, I mean, this is obviously ECE and you know pro care, you know we're connected to ECE, even though we're in a technology you know industry per se. Um, you know gossip happens in every office environment. and and I think what tends to happen is people that engage in that even though you think you're building rapport, that person's even subconsciously is like, well, if they're willing to talk about other people when they're not around, then they're probably also willing to talk about me when I'm not around. And, and they're, you think you're building trust, but really you're eroding it because there's no questions around like, hey, what's this person going to be saying when, when I'm not present? So I think that's a that's a good call out just to be transparent and be careful with the conversations you're having. What about, so like talking about staff and continuing to talk about like the culture inside of a, uh, a center. I know you, you're going to do a course on this soon about like team meetings and how to lead effective team meetings. And so, you know, some of the questions that come to mind for me, because I think every center is different is, is there a general rule of how often I should have staff meetings? If I, if I own or operate a center, is there a standard rule? And then can you talk a little bit in your opinion about like, what is the right way to structure those? Like what's the balance between content and conversation how much I'm talking as a leader versus inviting contributions. Um, So how often, and then talk to me about the ideal model if you have one. Perfect.
2: So for me personally, I do not see any reason for a staff meeting to be more than once a month, unless there is some kind of emergency. I have worked in a place where it was every week, it was every Tuesday, and it was the biggest waste of our time. Mm -hmm. And nothing irritates me more than time wasting. Um, So You kind of want to do, again, checking that ego, but also just doing like a quick little self-check in your head is, can this be an email? I mean, we've all seen that meme that says, I survived a staff meeting that could have been an email. And it's such a big piece because your staff want to leave the meeting learning something or feeling inspired or being informed. And if you cannot provide one or all three of those things, then your meeting is pointless.
1: So say those, say those three again, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but just so there's some practical takeaways, one of three things should happen in your staff meetings,
2: learning something or feeling inspired or being informed. There needs to be, again, it comes back to the why, why are you having the staff meeting? Are you having the staff meeting? Because you've decided because something new is being implemented at the center. You are want to teach something new. Or you haven't connected as a team because everybody's on different shifts. So that why really needs to be present. But then also, it's your job as the supervisor to be organized, winging it. And we've all done it. I've definitely done it. But winging your staff meeting because you look at your calendar, go, oh, shoot, I've got to make up a meeting agenda because we have a meeting in five minutes is not going to fly. So that's where your staff topics that the staff have contributed come in handy. You want to go through it and see what affects the whole team what affects the individual and what can be answered in an email. The individual ones you want to address individually, but the staff ones you want to plan. Like, what are you bringing to that? How are you going to address the problem, concern, or suggestion? And food. Always have food at a staff meeting. It doesn't matter if it is a 15-minute meeting, a half an hour meeting, or a one-hour meeting, and no meeting should be longer than an hour.
1: All right. So I got to double click on that one. Like, is there a perfect staff meeting food? Is it like, Hey, bring in the candy dish. Is it, you have a veggie plate? Is it smorgasbord have different options? Like we. So, what's the perfect staff meeting food?
2: I actually have an answer for this because while I'm building my courses, I've actually like worked out what the perfect foods are. So for a 15 minute meeting, a nice little fruit tray, even like those little disposable snacks that you put in kids recess lunches, Um, Those are perfect because it's a quick 15-minute touch base. 30 minutes, you want something a little bit more substantial. You want some coffee. You want fruit, vegetables. And then if it's an hour meeting, I used to full-out cater my staff meetings. So I used to have cannelloni, pasta, lasagna, which is a pasta, um, at my staff meetings because people just connect over food. And so it's a wonderful way to get people to invest and contribute to your meeting.
1: And then worst case, if nothing else, they had a good meal. If the content didn't end up delivering for any reason, they had food, they were happy. They got to, you know, share around food. Okay. I like exactly. that. exactly.
2: And also as ECEs half the time, we never have time to eat anyway. So most yeah. of the time, by the time we get to the staff meeting, we're starving.
1: So true. It's like miss lunch again, because I, you know, had to work right through lunch. So always have some food. That's a good like pro tip right there. Um, no more than once a month, if I heard you right, is yeah. in a perfect cadence, you know, monthly. And then just make sure you're prepared because your staff will see that. If you show up unprepared, like you said, going back to an earlier point you made, like wasting time and having people feel like this was a waste, I didn't get anything from it. And you as an owner or director weren't prepared, that, that contributes to a lack of culture and people feeling like, Their time's not valued.
2: And that's just it. When people don't feel that their time is valued or if the meeting runs later, people are going to zip up. They're going to stop contributing because they're clock watching and they don't want to say anything that's going to make the meeting go any longer than it is. Whereas if people have received the meeting agenda ahead of time, um, they know that there's going to be food and they know that the meeting is going to start on time you are already building a respectful, safe environment where people are ready to jump in and contribute to things that are going to happen during the meeting.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine really important to your point, like for those you know owners that do allow staff to provide topics or questions that they want to cover in the staff meeting, make sure that you actually spend time addressing those things so that staff don't feel like, hey, this is a fruitless exercise to give you feedback if you're not going to actually take it into account. So carve out time to address the things that people have been asking to talk about.
2: Absolutely. And also, um, I always put on my agenda any suggestions for enrollment. And it is amazing how staff have so much to contribute. I mean, we're all on social media. They're all following other ECEs and other centers, and they're watching what they're doing. So there's so much value in asking staff for input of, well, how do we promote? So like we did a fall fair once and it came from a staff suggestion and it was fantastic. And it was a great way to build community with the families as well.
1: Yeah. Great. Yeah. Some of your best ideas are going to come from the people that work with you and for you in the classrooms or around the parents or around the kids, um, give them that outlet. And and that kind of ties into as well, like the whole you know concept of professional development, which was kind of the last thing I, you know, wanted to talk a little bit about with you because professional development, I think that is a hunger that most people have is to continue to learn and get better. And it's easy to sometimes forsake that in the busyness of what's happening in centers. But when you talk about or think about professional development and you're talking with schools, like Are there some key things to focus on in terms of professional development? How do you approach it? How often are you trying to get your staff to continue to move forward? Um, And maybe just some tips and tricks around that topic.
2: Yeah. So there's kind of three ways that I look at professional development. But the number one way or the number one thought process is to go back to that wonder is how are you instilling a love of learning and a sense of wonder in your staff? Because if a staff has no interest in learning, professional development is just another chore. It's another thing that they have to try and do on their already busy day. So if a center can afford it, I always recommend if they can close two days a year where it is a whole day of professional development, so it's during a workday, and run a professional development workshop that way not everybody, A, can afford it. Depending on the demographics of your area, families cannot um, afford to have a center closed. They don't have family in the area that can take care of their kids. So you really have to kind of weigh the pros and cons when considering closing for a day. That's where the communication comes in. Plenty of notice if you're going to close. And then picking your topics. But also number two is getting to know what your staff want to learn. So I always put out a survey at the beginning of the year and ask my staff, what are your professional goals? Because a staff that wants to be, um, learn about risky play, and then I've got one, another staff that wants to learn about Reggio, they might coincide, or maybe I've got another staff that wants to learn American Sign Language. Well, I'm not going to send all three of them to the same program. So it's knowing what your staff's goals are and where they want to go. So that you can support them that way by providing them with either a podcast, a YouTube video, um, literature that they can read so that they're getting their their wonder filled. And then another way that I always do with my team, even now, um, when we're not in the classroom, is a book study. So every quarter we choose a book and we have three months to read it because really, who has time for reading nowadays? And so they have full three months. I give them some topics that might be talked about during the session, our book study session, so that they come prepared. And we have a great time. We do it over a glass of wine, which is not always possible um, in childcare, care, but um, we've done right now we're doing You Are a Badass. We've done Teach Like a Pirate and Limitless Mind. And so a broad range. And it's something that staff can do on their own time, um, at their own leisure, but there's no pressure and they're still learning because so much of it is just instilling that love of learning.
1: Yeah, to continue growing and continuing to develop. And I would think, you know, like the the environment that we're in right now, and I don't know if you hear this with all the schools and clients you work with as well, but like staffing, it it seems like a broken record, but literally every conversation, it's the theme that keeps coming up around uh, kids are coming back, families are coming back, but I'm having a real challenge retaining staff and attracting staff. Um, is that something you're hearing? And, and just like on this whole topic of professional development and culture and how you interact with staff and how you lead, anything that you're sharing with your clients around you know that topic, like how to retain your staff and how to go find and recruit talent that, that you can share?
2: So first of all, I think the supervisors really need to make sure that they carve out time for themselves because right now they are carrying so much weight on their shoulders because I mean, their phones don't stop, right? Somebody's sick. This person's sick. Like it's just, it's a mess right now. And in terms of professional development, I think, keep it simple. I I really do. Um, We're doing, you are a badass because we just, we don't have time to read something very deep right now. And we need some personal development to bring ourselves back up. Um, so I think for childcare centers right now in terms of professional development is keep it short. So podcast episodes, YouTube videos, um, and just reminding everybody why we're in this field, um, because it's hard when you are dealing with mass and sanitation and just staff off sick, short staff. It's so hard to remember why you're here right? Because where's the motivation? Why should I get up at seven o'clock when I'm going to be stressed out all day and then exhausted at the end of it? So it's just, it really is about finding the wins, looking for the positive as best you can. Um, And you know, there's nothing wrong with investing in your staff and there's nothing wrong with going to Starbucks and buying everybody a coffee at the end of the day to say, thank you. Because like we can only take so much and the world needs early childhood educators, and the sooner they figure it out, the better off everybody's going to be.
1: Yeah, hugely important to take care of yourself right now. I mean, this is kind of the theme that we keep hearing too, Carla, which, it, you know, owners are in the classroom right now, directors are in the classroom, everybody's carrying, you know, extra plates, juggling extra balls, so to speak, and and constantly having to remind yourself, you know, why I'm doing this. I mean, it is some adversity, we're going to get better through it. But we got to figure out a way to manage it and enjoy it best we can while we're here. Because yeah, it, it feels like people are maxed out right now.
2: Oh, and, and I can't blame them.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on for sure. It's been a long couple of years, but hopefully, um, hopefully we're on the downhill, sort of speak, and, and people are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Are you, you know, just in terms of Carla connecting, like for our audience, you know, we're big fans of bringing people onto our show that you know, are contributing to the industry, that are leading conversations, that are helping owners, directors, teachers, families for that matter. Um, and we always just try to share resources. So if our audience wanted to find out more from you, if they wanted to follow you on social media platforms, how, how would people find you? And um, can you share that so we can share it with the audience?
2: Absolutely. So my website is el foundations.com and there's actually a staff meeting freebie that i can give to your listeners if they go to elfoundations.com slash mastering meetings i've actually created a download of six ways to optimize your staff meetings so it's a nice checklist that they can use and start implementing for time efficient staff meetings (laughs)
1: Love it, everybody loves freebies. Like every all the time when we go to conferences, everybody loves to come by the table and get the free swag. So um, there's free digital content on your website. Obviously lots of conversation around professional development, staffing, staff meetings, and other services you provide. Um, fantastic, is there anything just, you know, as we kind of tie up our, our time together, um, you know, I think we touched on a lot of the topics that I was interested in talking with you about. But anything else that you would want to share? No pressure um, for the industry, or that you'd like to share with people about what you guys are doing up there.
2: You know what? Um, well, definitely, I want to mention my Instagram because that is where I spend most of my social time. Is at El Foundations, and I'm always happy to connect with people. Quick questions, any way I can support? Um, please reach out because, especially during this pandemic. Um, Everybody needs a friend and I'm happy to be that person that can help support you through this. Um, But no, generally, it's just about remembering that we are all in this together and working together as a team is so key. Um, And being a supervisor can be a very lonely island. So your team really is important.
1: Super important, maybe more so than ever. I think it's well said carla and so you know carla ward from um early learning foundations thank you so much for being part of our show and we look forward to tracking along with you in the in the months and years to come
0: well thank you so much for having me on
1: you bet have a good day
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the child care business podcast to get more insights on ways to succeed in your child care business Make sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you want even more childcare business tips, tricks, and strategies, head over to our resource center at procaresoftware.com. Until next time.